Welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Rick and Bubba here again. And, and Bubba, we're moving into, you know, the fourth episode of Rick and Bubba University. And this is probably the most well-known uh, abduction story, the Pascagoula abduction. Uh, Calvin Parker, who we're going to be talking to, and, uh, of course, uh, Charlie Hicks, who uh, is no longer with us. He has passed on. Yeah, Hickson. Hickson, I'm yeah. sorry, Charlie Hickson. And, uh, and of course, we're going to start out, Bubba, talking with Calvin, and, and you can kind of walk with him through you know, the story that a lot of people have heard. We actually interviewed Calvin on, on the big show, the Rick and Bubba show, and we spent a lot of time on it. But here on the podcast, some people may need a refresher or they may not know the story at all. Uh, and then we'll talk about the original story. But we're really here today to also talk about a second book that is going to feature some new evidence and some new witnesses uh, but first, uh, let's welcome to Rick and Bubba University, Calvin Parker. Hey, good to be here. Welcome, sir. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing very well. How are y'all this morning? We are great. We're great. Thank you for joining us. And I want to tell you, Calvin, when this when this story hit, and I was a kid, I remember it very clearly, this kind of started the UFO craze, mm-hmm. I think, in our country, because people, your story's very disturbing, honestly, and people don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to digest it. And we wanted to have you on again, as Rick had said, and kind of break this down a little bit more. But I, I really think yours is UFO story number one when you start looking at this strange phenomenon that has been in our country for several decades. You know, <clears throat> I, I've heard that before, that it was number one. I never really realized it until I got did the book here. But, uh Boy, it's got some attention since the first book come out. Now the second one came out, and it's really getting attention. Well, let's let's talk about this event. It happened on October the 11th, 1973, and you and Charles had got off work, and you were fishing on a dock there uh, off the Pascagoula River, right? Yeah, it was no abandoned shipyard, Shaw Peter Shipyard. And then as you were as you were fishing, you saw some blue lights. Kind of walk us through the the actual event of what happened. Well, we got to the pier, we sat down and had started fishing. And actually I was looking across the river and no steel hull boat because we was working with steel in the shipyard. And I was thinking to myself, now how does steel float in water? It's so heavy, you can't even haul it on the truck. And I noticed there was some blue hazy lights, which is the same color as the patrol lights that are uh, coming in from behind me. And I just knew we was fixing to go to jail, and I'd been better off going to jail because we were trespassing on this old abandoned <laughs> shipyard. Well, as we turned around, I turned around and told Charlie, I said, I know we're going to jail, and you fixed to pay my way out. And this was your ideal. And we turned around and both looked at this. All of a sudden, there was a big, bright light that happened. And it just throwed a big spotlight out on us. Uh, And that was coming from inside the craft, I guess. I couldn't really tell right then. And then there was three bulky-looking creatures that came in. And two of them got a hold of Charlie. One got a hold of myself. And they kind of floated us toward the... um, uh, the craft there, I still didn't know what it was. We got to the door, and I remember looking in there to see if I could see where them lights was coming from because they was really bright. Um, now you you had to be terrified at that point. I mean, you could you not you couldn't fight, you couldn't run. 
Oh, no. See, on that river where we were, there was big debris on both sides of the river. You couldn't go on either side and you couldn't go out to the center because you'd get all cut up and all. What I should have done, thinking back, was just take Charlie and throw him out there in front of me and yeah. let him get him and be <laughs> hide somewhere. Right, right. That would you, you don't have to be the, the fastest one, just don't be the slowest one. Right. That's exactly right. I think about that time, oh, I could have been fast. So the, tell us a little bit about now they carry you on the ship, and what do these creatures look like? Well, the first one that picked us up originally – took me into a uh, waiting room or a some kind of room to do examinations on us. And uh, that that one was kind of gray-looking color, looked like a football player, didn't have a neck. And I didn't really see no facial features. I just know what Charlie said about them later. But it had a few little antennas sticking out. Now, he did move like a robot and mechanically-wise. But the second one, there was a female creature that came out, and uh, she's the one that did like the examination on me. And actually, she looked more human than she did like anything else. She had eyes, ears, nose, uh, mouth, hair. And uh, the only difference I could see, her two middle fingers is a little longer than anybody else's. But... uh, but she knew how to use them because she grabbed me by the throat. She run them things down behind my little hang-me-down thing in back of my throat and started choking me. My nose started bleeding. And then she backed off and quit. And then summons that big, ugly creature to come get me and take me back out. So, so the, as, yeah. as you go on the craft, they separate you two for an examination. And then, uh, did you did you see did you see Charles anymore on the craft, or just when they they released you? And was that what happened next? They sent you back. They put me out by the river. I was facing the river with my arms stretched out, but I didn't see Charles no more on the craft. Now the next time I seen him is when they put us back on the river bank, and uh, I heard him say, "Calvin, Calvin, you okay?" Now he was laying on the ground there. Uh and he was standing up, and that, about that time we turned around and looked, this thing had, was going up into the air like a streak of light. Well, it was fast as lightning. It just disappeared. What did it look like, Kevin? What did the actual ship, the best you could describe it, what did it look like? It kind of favored a, uh, a football in the way that it was made. About 80 foot long, about 12 foot high, I guess. You know, and this is just estimates. I don't know for sure. Now, when you when you said this, because we'll nutshell it, because now we're almost getting ready to get into new material. Well, let's go with what happened after that. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah. For, so just, I want to get this part right, then we'll move on. You and, and Charlie are fishing. Blue lights are the first thing you see. Then a almost like spotlight illuminates you. Two large, robotic-looking creatures that you said didn't seem to have any facial features. Charlie said he might have knew a little more about them with the antennas and all that. They take you, and there's nothing you can really do. And, and I remember we talked to you before. You think they might have even given you something to calm you down. Uh, you know, Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and there was some evidence of that on your arm, like you had been given a shot of some kind. 
and then they take you into the spacecraft that you said the door was open, and you remember thinking, I wonder if that's where the lights came from. They put you on something that was like a table, but I remember we interviewed you before, and we just listened to the interview a minute ago. It wasn't a physical table. You just knew you were laying down on something, right? Yeah, and, you know, it kind of favored glass in a way, y'all. It was a beautiful table, you know, from what I could tell. But uh, if you looked at it, you could see all the way through it, and it was more or less like glass. And, and then, yeah, and, and then you're laying on that, and then the more female, and you're using female just based on what you know about humans. Softer appearance. Right. A, a softer appearance with more more defined facial features, and you said even hair came in with some really long fingers in, in the middle of what we would call a hand, obviously does some sort of examination to you, sticks those fingers in your throat. Uh, so far back in your throat, it made your nose bleed. Then she stopped. Uh, and I remember in the original interview, didn't you say that they also perform what we would describe maybe as some sort of MRI on you? They did. It uh, When I was on this table, I was looking straight up at the ceiling like that, and something about the size of a deck of cards come down, and it stopped about a foot and a half in front of me, and it started rotating around my head, and it was clicking every time it would go. And then it got in front of me and just shot back up into the uh, ceiling. And that's when the uh, female creature come out, or what I call the female. It might have been male for all I know, you know. Sure. But, but you know, I call it a female because it's feminine looking and kind of acted like one. Yeah. Did, did you, was there any sort of communication of any kind, any language, noises, anything like that? Nothing that you could hear through your ears, but telepathically, she communicated, and it sounded just like an old redneck girl when she talked. So uh, that's another reason that I think it was. I think they might have practiced the language, you know. But she said, "We're not going to harm you," and I was thinking, "Well, you know, it's a little late for that. You know, mm-hmm. scared me, dirty my clothes up, got blood all over me. What else is not harm you mean?" Yeah, that's that's all in the eye of the beholder. So you, you don't see Charles anymore. They carry you back to the pier, and then you guys see the ship take off, and you go to report this. Of course, there wasn't cell phones in, so you go find a payphone, and you call the sheriff's department, right? Well, no, what happened, I told Charlie, you know, let's not tell nobody. Let's just keep this quiet and not say nothing. Well, on the way home, there was a store there, and he said, pull over to the store, let me use the phone. Well, I thought he was going to call his wife. I didn't know he was going to call everybody in the country, but he called Keesler Air Force Base and told them what happened. They said, man, we don't deal with stuff like this anymore. You know, we don't even have that Project Blue Book stuff going on. They said, call your local sheriff department. So he called the local sheriff department, and when he did, they thought we was drinking, and they didn't want us to get on the road and drive. They said, well, y'all just park right there for a minute, and we'll be there in just a minute. Do not go nowhere. So Charlie come back, and he told me that he called the sheriff's department, and they told us to stay right here. Of course, in just a minute or two, they pulled up, and they walked over to my side of the car because I was driving. wanted to see my driver's license. I showed him my driver's license, and then uh, he said, step out of the car. So I stepped out of the car, 
He shined a flashlight in my eyes, said, follow this with your eyes. So I followed that with my eyes. And then he said, stand on one leg, bend your head back, close your eyes, touch your nose, and count from 100 backwards and jump up and down on one foot. Good. I told him, I said, man, I couldn't do that if I was sober, much less if I'd been drinking. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's pretty difficult. So I did it for him, though. And he decided, you know, we was safe. So we followed them to the sheriff department. He said, y'all follow me. Well, when we got there, they split Charlie and myself up. He went in one room. I went in one room. They tried to interrogate us. And I kept saying, they asked me what's going on. I said, nothing, not a thing. I said, I'm just out here. I guess I did it in there, making up something to tell you or telling you something. He said, well, Hold on a minute. So they put us up both in the same room, but where I messed up, I wasn't thinking. They put a tape recorder in that room with us that we didn't know about. And then Charlie and I started talking about this. So that's how they knew that uh, something happened. And they got pretty serious about it then before they thought we was just drunk. But they seen we wasn't drinking, and they hear, heard us talking between ourselves. And the sheriff come in and, uh, he said, look, fellas, uh, we're going to, uh, let y'all go home and I'll see y'all tomorrow. So they had this secret tape there and that's what convinced them that we was telling the truth. Cause we had no knowledge of the tape being in the room or anything. So they let us drive on home and the next day we got up to go back to work. Well, on our uh, way to work, well, we went on into work. We brassed in, and uh, once we got checked in, we wasn't in the yard five minutes. They was calling Charlie and I both to the office. Now, this is just my second day at work now. This was October the 12th, and uh, I had no reason why that. Well, I kind of had an idea, but what they said, y'all going to have to give a press release because – we can't even make phone calls out of here. Our phone's ringing off the hook. Now, how the media found out about this, I don't know. But I've got an idea it was probably people listening in on scanners and things to the police department. Because back in, people was just as nosy as they are today. <laughs> and that's probably where they got the idea. Calvin, let me ask you this. When... Charles changed his story or changed his mind and made the phone call. Did, was you upset about that? Or why didn't you want to tell the authorities what had happened? Was it, were you afraid of public ridicule or were you, were you still shaken up by it? I mean, we hear a lot about post dramatic, post traumatic stress disorder. I mean, this is a, this is a pretty earth shaking thing. Um, what, what was your mental status then? And how did you react to him telling you that, Hey, I call the sheriff? Well, it really made me mad. I got upset with him cause I wasn't going to tell nobody I was going to get up and go to work and resume my normal life. And one of the reasons why I was due to get married in November, this was October the 11th and I was going to get married November the 9th. And her daddy was real strict and all, and I knew that uh, if he found out something like that, he'd think I was a lunatic. 
Because <laughs> this was just unheard of back then. Yeah. So your whole deal was I'm getting married uh, in, in, in a month, and I just don't need this. I, I don't didn't need it. I didn't need it at my work life. I mean, I had just changed jobs. I'm the only person I know that got a physical hired and fired all in the same day. <laughs> That's true. So, but far as, as the impression it made on you, how, how could you go on? How could you go back to work? How could you go on knowing this happened? It, it, did it not shake you up or were you just able to block it out? So to speak. Oh, it shook me up. But, uh, the main thing that shook me up was the news media following me around and changing the story. And, and for 45 years, they changed everything that I said. They would add to it. And this was bad enough like it was. But you go to uh, changing everything and all, it really gets bad. But uh, it, it was a hard pill to swallow, hard to deal with. Up until I did the first book, I never talked about it to my family, my friends, my wife. My wife would wouldn't even ask me about it because she knew how I felt about it. Well, how did your, was that the fiance you were talking about? Did you end up marrying her? Oh, we married and we still married. Did you, did, did she, she had to ask you about it. She goes, Calvin, you're, you're, you're on the news. You're in the paper. What, what in the heck's going on? How did she deal with all this? Well, I think what happened, Charlie might've called my father. My father went and told him, told her a little bit of what was going on and uh they knew i didn't want to talk about it or i wouldn't talk about it until it was time to to really talk about this and get it off which i never found time up until last year but you know that was just one of the things that was never brought up she never asked me now when we did the book you know it helped our marriage because you can't keep a secret from a woman for 45 years and expect them to really like it no you're right no they're and, they're sensitive about things like that yeah and men they are yeah, this may be the most <laughs> unbelievable case i've ever heard of but men do have the ability sometimes not like women to compartmentalize we can have something happen put it over on a shelf and say i'll have to get back to that later and we go on with our lives where women a lot of times if something's going on it gets at the center of their life, and they can't move on until it's dealt with. But I must say, Calvin Parker, you compartmentalizing, being taken onto a spaceship, and having, <laughs> and having fingers rammed up your nose and moving on with your life, that may be the greatest uh, example of compartmentalizing something I've ever seen. Yeah, and uh, and I kept this secret. I didn't break my oath to myself or my promise to myself to talk about it and until the book came out, and uh, it's kind of like my wife said when that first book come out, the people want to know, your friends want to know, and especially I want to know what happened. Yeah. Well, she might have bit off a little too much wanting to know because we were sitting on the back porch, and I got that first transcript from uh, that Bud Hopkins hypnosis, yep. and I told her to go read it because I didn't want to read it. I didn't care nothing about it. She was back here about 45 minutes to come out crying. I said, what's wrong with you? Well, it's just really upsetting. Well, yeah, you ought to have your nose run through like that. Yeah, well, but, and Calvin, let me, let, let me ask you this too. And I know that you have been hypnotized three times now, and one was very recently. 
Right. But uh, th- these are the things that just me listening to your story, and, and like I said, we don't know you other than doing these, and it's disturbing, and, and I'll tell you why it's disturbing. The detail that you have given to this story, the fact that you were not seeking publicity, as a matter of fact, you were, you were trying to keep it hidden for a long time, the police recording when they put you back together where you two are actually telling each other and recounting what happened, um, the fact that you in the what happened in these hypnosis segments and correct me if I'm wrong, did you do a polygraph too? I did two of them. Okay, and you passed and also, those, right? Also a voice stress test, which they say is more accurate than a polygraph. And you passed all of those. Everything, yes, sir. And your story has not changed, the one that you've been telling over the years, and the fact that, that Charles Hickson even. As he he is he's passed away, correct? Yes, sir. He, I mean, if I was doing a hoax, I believe, you know, you hear about the deathbed confessions. I would have said something to somebody if I was making this up, and he did oh, not, right? No, he didn't. Uh, Charlie kept. He actually the one that kept us alive. He'd make conferences. He quit his job just to go around and speak at these conferences and make speaking engagements. And I'll be honest, there's not any money in this. I don't know how he made a living, especially back at the time he was doing yeah. it. There was no social media. Right. And you had to physically, if you wrote a letter, you physically sat down and wrote a letter. Uh, nowadays, I can get on this computer, and before I know it, there's 5,000 people know everything I do if I wanted them to know it. Uh, let me let me ask you a couple of questions about that, and then we'll get into this last hypnosis and the new book that you're doing. Do you, uh, did you get the sensation that these beings were physical beings that just had traveled from somewhere? And maybe this is a this is a speculate speculation question. Did you sense that they were a physical being, even though obviously they were physically in front of you, or that? Maybe they were more of a spiritual being that had come through some kind of uh, something into our dimension. What kind of what was your your feeling about well, exactly what you saw? Though big ugly one that brought me in there. Now he was mechanical. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But this female creature, I'm almost a hundred percent sure she was a physical being, and uh, I think she just there to do a job on a mission and she had these robotic looking creatures just to watch after her and do the work for her, I guess. Henchman almost. Or or worked under her. Yeah. Uh, So did you feel like that they ever tried to contact you again after this? Or has other people that had similar experiences reached out to you and said, hey, I had the same thing or have you had other people who think that they have been abducted, contact you and, and want to compare notes? Absolutely. I woke up one morning at two o'clock. I'm kind of nocturnal. I get up about 11 o'clock every night or one. Went on my back porch, just talked to my little dog and I heard somebody snoring. And I thought, what in the world is that? And there was a guy that was asleep on my swing. And I had to wake him up, and I got to feeling sorry for him because, you know, he was way out there. And I woke him up. He wanted to talk to me. He was afraid he was, excuse me, going to hell. 
and want to know if I thought it would go to hell. I said, I, nobody knows that. That's between you and God. You know, I don't know something like that. But he wanted to share a story with me. And I, instead of just shooting him like I was fixing to, uh, he, uh, and I invited him in. We made some coffee, and he sat there and told me the story. And this isn't the only time something like this happened. I've had people I don't even know pull up in my driveway and wait out in a car for me to come out just to talk to me. I'm, this has influenced a lot of people. And then the eyewitnesses that come forth in this other book, and it's a trot line full of them, you know, they've held this back almost as long as I have. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind that they tell them the truth. And one of them come forward. I was on that Fox 10 new, uh, news out of Mobile. And her daughter had made a comment on the bottom of the news. Said, my mother seen that in 1973. She was there. She's always wanted to talk to Calvin Parker. Well, Philip Mantle, the guy that uh, had did the uh, publishing of the book, he seen that remark. Well, he got on a hunt. Now, he's like a bloodhound dog when he wants something. He, he's going to find it. He's going to search till he finds a truth out. And uh, he found this man's daughter, or this lady's daughter, and uh, traced her down and got her mom's phone number. Now, everybody said that this lady come forward for because she just wanted the publicity. That ain't the truth. She didn't come forward at all. My bloodhound actually tracked her down and uh, asked her if she would give her testimony or talk to him. And she told him the story, how he was there. So Philip, he wouldn't even let me talk to her until after this. He told me, let him handle it, and then I could see her. So he got Irene Scott, another lady that does that, to go interview her. And he got a written interview, and then I was able to meet her after this. But there's no doubt in my mind that she is way sincere, and all the rest of these witnesses are. What did she say exactly? She said that she was across the river. I was fishing on the east bank, but the west side of the east bank. She was standing on the, I mean, on, you know, I, she was standing on the east side of the west bank. And it's not that wide across there. And she actually seen this land, seen the lights come on, and seen these figures come out. And she couldn't tell who we were at the time until the next morning when the news come off and called her names out. But she's seen all this. And uh, her husband also seen it. And he told her, don't mention this to nobody. People's going to think we're crazy. Now, back in 73, people would think you was crazy to come up with that. Matter of fact, I didn't even know what an alien or a UFO was at that time. So, you know, I understand where she's coming from. And then it was several other witnesses that seen this, that uh, when they seen that this lady came forward, they all started kind of easing up. And I had met them at a book signing last October the 11th in Pascagoula. And, you know, they come up and was talking to me and all. Well, I didn't think about it when they said they seen it. But my wife is good about taking down names and pictures and stuff. So we got the pictures that she took of the ones. 
and and uh, Philip tracked them down on Facebook with their pictures. So and they all these people really sincere. You know, there's no doubt in my mind what went on. And how can I doubt anybody? It's no way a man that got a fifty shades of gray run down his throat. It can can set there and doubt anybody. Well, yeah, and so what you're saying in the new book, and, that, and this is uh, Pascagoula, the story continues, and you were mentioning already we've kind of transitioned into the new book. This In the new book, there are now new eyewitnesses like the two you just described, people who said, on that night, everything Calvin Parker is talking about, we saw it. His story makes us understand what we were seeing. Uh, it also has the transcripts in it uh, from the different times that you were placed under hypnosis. Uh, yes, sir. And, and so that's also in the book. Those are the ones with Bud Hopkins. And then, of course, Kathleen Martin has uh, put you under hypnosis again. I'm talking about last month. Yeah, September of 2019. Right. Tell us a little bit about that. Was there any details that came out in that session? It that- was a lot of details that come out in this session. It was actually a three-hour session. What happened, I had met Kathleen at a uh, UFO convention in UFO Congress in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, and got to know her. Well, I found out her background and her education, and she has a degree in forensic science and in, you know, in this hypnosis stuff. And uh, she just got a big degree, and she's a truth hunter, and she's very professional. On that first hypnosis now, there was two incidents, and uh, they were kind of run together. I couldn't make any sense out of them when I read them, really. As, you know, if I'd been just reading instead of knowing, I wouldn't have been able to make any sense. So I talked to Kathleen. I said, will you uh, be willing to hypnotize me? And she says, well, I'm really busy and I'm tired. But she got back to Florida and she called. She said, yeah, I'll do it. So she, made, she got a plane and flew down. And we would come to the house here and I spent three hours under hypnosis and she separated them. She didn't lead me on with any questions. She was very professional and, uh, she did a great job doing this. And I found out stuff for my own dealings. I see, I'm the only reason I'm in this is for answers anyway. And, uh, It also got me in the doghouse a little bit with my wife because I talked about her cooking and all. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, you don't want want that. So you go in that hypnosis, you don't know what you're going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. No, you never know. I think, you know, I'm pretty sure you you know what you're saying, but you don't know, uh, you don't expect. It's kind of like drinking, you know. You You want to know a lot about a man, just go have a few drinks with him. And you know his whole life history then, you know, that truth serum kicks in. And hypnosis is to me it's like a truth serum. But I found out that this was a female and uh we had a violent confrontation there toward the end, and she separated the two incidents, and then I got a better description of what she looked like and of her hair, and uh there's a there's a lot of stuff that come out. You know, I hadn't uh, my my own self. I hadn't really got into all of it right now, but I you know I've read through it in a hurry. 
But what I'm wanting to do is uh, I have the uh, tape of where I was hypnotized. I'm going to sit back and just listen to the whole thing. Now, in the book, though, we will have some of the new things that have been found out, and those transcripts from prior hypnosis will be there and new independent eyewitnesses uh, that uh, that say that they saw the same things that you did. And, exactly. Uh, and, and so now that you're out and you said there's people contacting you that have had experiences in their own life, I know you're not the judge and jury, but just with your own savviness and common sense, do you think mixed in some of these that are contacting you are some that are more believable than others? I do. You know, there's some that I believe wholeheartedly, but then there's some that, you know, I didn't tell them, look, you're crazy. Right. But I thought it in back of my mind. Yeah. You got to be a lunatic. So, but, uh, 99% of them, I do believe, but there's some that get too far out there for me. I mean, even my story is far enough out, but there's some that really get way out there. Calvin, let me ask you this. As far as you being checked out physically after this, uh, have you ever been checked to see if they implanted something in you or anything else was done other than just a physical examination? Well, when I had my uh, heart surgery and all my stroke, they did an MRI on me. And I asked them to do like a full body scan. You know, I was willing to pay that extra. Yeah time for it and, and they really couldn't see nothing that wasn't supposed to be there so yeah they of course it might have fell out or been taken out by then who knows are are you concerned that they may try to come back and find you again if they documented you once they might want to come back and you know like we do with animals somebody who's been tagged or marked to check that same animal to see if there's been changes do you are you in fear that you may be targeted again well, I don't fear it, but I don't want it either. Uh, used to, I wouldn't even go out and fish at night uh, anymore. But now, my best time of fishing is getting up at 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning and going out there at night and do some fishing. And my wife's not afraid. She uh, she comes with me. So, But I do know one thing. Used to, I would carry a gun everywhere I went. I don't do that no more, you know, because if you do that, you're going to do something stupid one day. You'll use it and get you in a lot of trouble or somebody else in a lot of trouble. And I don't want to hurt nobody or nothing. I just want to be left alone to live my life. Hey, when when, when Charles was doing his speaking tour and, and, and when he was still with us, did you did he stay pretty much to exactly what you experienced? Did you ever at any point think that he was starting to add anything that you didn't agree with, that his story remained consistent the whole time? Well, to be honest with you, I never really, he gave me one of his books or okay. Philip did. I never read his book. I don't, I never listened to none of his speeches. I would hear him on the news media every now and then, but he was real believable. I mean, he pretty well stayed with the same story and all. There's just one, uh, one thing that I kind of doubted about him. And he said he had a rock, and he could rub that rock, and they would come back and see him. But we found that rock on a fishing trip. It was just a pretty rock, looked like it come out of a fishing aquarium on a sandbar. And he picked it up. Now, if he ever rubbed it and they come to see him, I don't know. But that that was the only thing that 
I had a question about with him. Yeah, but to Bubba's point, you've never been contacted by these beings again. No, no, sir. Well, the the new book will, will be some some new insights. Do you, as you sit here today on Rick and Bubba University, you obviously have done a lot of interviews now. It, it's out. You're Calvin Parker, the guy who, you know, was abducted by some sort of creatures from somewhere. And and do you do you wish you had stayed with your original plan and wish that Charles had not told everyone, or have you finally come to peace with it all? Sounds like you have, and you realize that maybe you're here to to help people in some way, shape, or form, and also well, he- healthy for yourself that you did go ahead and get it all out. I'm glad it's out now, and I'm glad I waited to this part of my life. Uh, Charlie, the one thing about Charlie, he kept the story alive. And uh, halfway believable all through this, and then when after he passed away, and my wife talked to me about writing a book, this has been the best thing for my marriage that uh, has ever yeah. happened yeah. to it. We actually able to take vacations and all, and she goes to these conferences with me. I buy her plane ticket, but they furnish us a room and food and stuff. So we get out, we go around and take a vacation when we get ready to. Well, good. And it, and it's nice. It's been good for our marriage. Plus, you keep, like I say before, you don't keep a secret 45 years from a woman yeah. and uh, expect them to like it. You get that look every now and then. <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad it's out now. I've met a lot of great people. I feel like I'm doing... Uh, the, some of these people that's been abducted or seen something they don't understand, I feel like I'm doing them a little service, so that makes me feel good. And plus, you know, I'm still a Christian, so I don't, I don't mind getting out and talking about God. Amen. You, you know, when all this comes on, and I think uh, just just the fact that somebody would come and ask me if they're going to hell. It represents my part with God and all. My motto, God first, family second, and then whatever falls in there, you know, after that. You know, that, that's a very interesting point. I have two more questions, Calvin, and we'll, we'll let you go. You've been very gracious with your time. When you encountered these beings, did you, did you sense an evil with them? Did you sense a, a spiritual component? Did you, did you sense that they... They could be some type of angel or, or or something else. Did you have any of that, or was it just kind of like a very physical, hey, you're here, you're holding me type situation? Did you did you sense any spiritual component to this? No, I didn't uh, sense anything spiritual. Um, and, you know, I get people mad sometimes. Everybody says, well, I want them to come get me. They're here for the good of the world and all. But... To me, that's like anything else. We got so many different religions and races right here on the world. Everybody believes a little something different. But bottom line, everybody does believe that there's a God. Now, it might have a different name and all. And I know it's a supreme being. And uh, I feel like, you know, it's not right for them to come here and experiment on us and throw us under there and do lab work on us like they would on a uh, laboratory animal. So I felt like they more able or curious than anything. So in kind of wrapping all this up, people have heard your story. Um, 
people have different ideas, different perceptions. Uh, some people are going to be doubters in this and say, well, you know, these guys, they were out drinking and they've kind of concocted this story and now Calvin's making a little money off of it. He's getting some vacations. What do you say to the doubter? Just in a, in a in kind of a nutshell, what would you say to them, to someone that would have that feeling about you and your story? You know what? It's a free country, and I appreciate the people that really doubt something like this because I would doubt it if I hadn't have gone through it. And I don't want everybody to uh, to be the same. So you have to have your doubters. And in order to understand this thing, you know, it's going to take hard proof. And, and the ones that don't believe will never believe. The ones that do believe, will believe 100%. It's just like believing in God. The ones that don't believe in God would never believe in him until the end of time, you know. But the ones that do, you know, they'd die and go to hell before you change their faith. Well, Calvin, we thank you uh, for your time. The new book, Pascagoula, The Story Continues, New Evidence and New Witnesses. We do believe it is the most famous alien abduction story, uh, the Pascagoula abduction. Thanks for taking time to be with us. and. And uh, I'm so glad you include us uh, whenever we ask. And as Bubba said, thank you for all the time you gave us today. Hey, I appreciate y'all. And uh, I was telling my publisher, this is the second or third time that I've been on here. And I really appreciate y'all's interest in this because y'all have a big listener audience. And uh, all I'm hunting is the truth. And thank y'all for helping, trying to help me find that. It's our pleasure, Calvin. Thank we you. love the truth, and we wish you nothing but health and happiness. Take care of yourself, brother. Thank you, man. Okay, bud. Thank right, y'all. See, thank you. So Calvin Parker um, with us. Bubba, as we wrap it up, there has to be five minutes that we just we just sit sit here together. And you know the things I'm going to say, you know, know. things because we, we've done it. And, and I don't, I'm not saying it any other reason is I really am interested to try to figure this out. And so I go to you. What say you? about Calvin Parker's claim that this took place? Well, Rick, we wasn't there, so we don't know. We don't know. I take him at his word. I think he's a very believable person. Uh, I know Calvin Parker in that he's like a lot of my family people, my, my kin folks, as we say. I don't think he would make this up. I think something happened to him and Charles that night something very much out of the norm. I don't know what it was. We don't have proof. You know, the old joke about they never stole an ashtray off the ship, so we have some kind of physical proof. But I think something happened to those men, something they don't understand, and as you heard, something that that uh, uh, that Calvin is still dealing with today. I just don't know what it was. And it's very uncomfortable. I mean, to think what he says happened could have happened. It makes us all very uncomfortable. Yeah. But there's things out there we don't know and don't understand about our universe. Uh, as we've talked about, it doesn't change my faith perspective um, other than the curiosity of I'd like to know what's out there. Yeah, I, I find myself, and I think this may be, those of you that are fans of the show, Maybe the most surprising. I'm not Greg, but I'm close to Greg. Right. And uh, we're from the same cut. I got to tell you, I, I don't think Calvin Parker's making it up. 
Now, do I believe, and I don't even know if Calvin Parker is trying to say he believes that he was. Calvin Parker says he doesn't know who grabbed him and who took him on this, what he says is a ship. He doesn't, he doesn't know who these people are. He doesn't know, know where they came from. He's not saying there's life on other planets. They're just saying, hey, Charlie and I were grabbed by something, and I, I don't think he's just making it up because if he was just making it up, long ago he would have said, let me start my speaking tour, let me start my books, and he didn't. He waited a very long time. And, and really, if you think about it, what he's telling us, it became therapeutic for his marriage uh, to, to just say, look, we're going to get deal with this and talk about this. And how do we solve a lot of mysteries now? We say follow the dollars. Right. You can't really say he made this story up for profit because, like you said, it came very late. If he was going to do that, he should have done it a long time ago. Now, obviously, we have a biblical worldview. You made that very clear. We certainly believe that there is only one God. That's Jehovah. We certainly believe that his plan for redemption with planet Earth and what was created on Earth is all covered in the Word of God. That's a deal with, with that creation and, and we, the human beings that were created for Earth. What's going on in other places? I got no idea. And, and one of the things that I'm thinking about is why has there been what was the, what was the, what was accomplished by this, by whatever these things were? But back to the biblical worldview, we, you know, just from what you know about space exploration, about how much time it takes, you know, you, what, what seems like a delay for us, I mean, they may be coming back in their timeline very shortly. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, like and I know I'm getting into God now, and that's not what I'm saying these things were. But, you know, Peter tells us pretty clear you think that God's delayed his return when he hasn't delayed at all. Right. You know, to, Our timeline's not yeah, his. Yeah. It's certainly not cosmic. It's, right. it's very human based on right. our life. Right. So that's always been one thing I've wondered about. Why would they do this and not follow up on it? Right. Or maybe they did. Maybe some of these other people who are saying things happened to them, that is their follow-up. Well, how about this? Let me, let me give you this. And we always talk about these abductions in general. They appear to be on the outlying areas. They never land on the lawn of the White House and say, we want to talk to the president. But think about how we study the animal world. And I call it the Mutual of Omaha example. Um, if Now, you know, we have all this footage of studying animals where we have hidden cameras and we, you know, we go out to these remote areas. Um, you know, if if somebody was studying the human race and they didn't want to be an influence to that race, they probably would do it the way that these have been done by picking off people who are isolated at, at hours of the night where they can't be seen. I mean, if they were going to do it logically and study us physically, I think they would do it the way we're seeing it done. Uh, and the one thing I'll tell you, this is one piece of evidence you never hear talked about, but it, it always speaks loud to me. Look at the pictures of these men shortly after this happened. They have a look on their face that you can't fake, that something dramatic happened to them. And we've all had things in our life happen uh, to different degrees that were troublesome or bothered us or we saw something or been through something in our life. And there's a look people have on their face you can't fake. And they've got that look. There's something happened to them that was very disturbing. And, again, I don't know if it was gray men from – you know, outside our universe or dimensional travelers or they, 
had some kind of mind-altering dream, but in their mind, something happened to them, and I think something happened to them. I just don't know what it was. Thank you for being with us on this episode of Rick and Bubba University. Uh, We certainly don't come away with a lot of answers, but uh, at least we can come away with whether you think that Calvin Parker is credible or not. As far as Professor Burgess and Professor Bussey, we think he's credible. We We just don't know what happened. We certainly don't know what happened to him, but I think he believes something did, and whether that was something beyond our galaxy or something in the spiritual realm or hallucination, we don't know. But what we will say, ending this episode of Rick and Bubba University, the two of us do not think that Calvin Parker just made it up. Thank you for being with us.